1: Coming up on the Hockey News Pregame Show, David Perron gets six games for cross checking.
2: Too much? Clash of the Connors coming up with Bedard versus McDavid. We've got Chicago team site editor Matt Carlson to fill us in. And John Tavares was booed
1: once again in Long Island. We're going to talk to Stefan Rosner, team site editor for the New York Islanders, about why this is still happening. I'm Ryan Kennedy. And I'm Michael Trikos. This is the Hockey News Pregame Show, brought to you by BetMGM and NorthlandHockey.com. Welcome to the Hockey News pregame show. Ryan, let's get right into this. The Department of Player Safety, very busy this week. Indeed. So David Perron gets six games for cross-checking Artem Zub in the head. Yeah. Shortly after, Eric DeBranson gets only one game for literally jumping Nick Cousins <laughs> yeah. and just dumbing him on the ice. Yeah. Am I missing something here, or is there a bit of a disconnect in terms of one is worth six games, one is worth one game, but both of them look pretty ugly?
2: They di- they definitely did. I, for me, if we're starting with Perron, so you know Dylan Larkin uh, gets knocked out on what I would deem to be a pretty unfortunate scenario where he gets shoved, cross-checked, whatever. Like uh, he was getting sandwiched.
1: Like, one guy got him from behind, and at yeah. the same time, someone came in from...
2: Yeah, so Matthew Joseph gets him from one side, and as he's falling from that contact, Parker Kelly, who was attempting to hit him as well, ends up getting Larkin in the head. Mm-hmm. Very scary situation for the Detroit Red Wings captain. Luckily, he was okay later. Um, but in the aftermath of this, Perron sort of jump cross-checks Zub directly in the head, and I wonder, I don't have any inside information on this, but the fact that, you know, he cross-checked a completely innocent bystander in the head. What did Zub do? Exactly. (laughs) He was just standing there. poor guy. Uh, Yeah, poor guy. Like, I don't know if, obviously, Perron, and, you know, these things happen fast. You talk to NHL players, and they'll say, like, look, we don't get instant replay on the ice. We see one of our teammates lying prone, and we react, Uh, but you know, Perron clearly, there was two guys he could have gone (laughs) after, and he didn't go after either of them. Uh, He went after the wrong guy, unfortunately. And, you know, this was not like, you know, there was the case with Austin Matthews and Rasmus Dahlin Yeah, from a uh, few years ago. Yeah, where they were going after each other, and there was a cross-check to the head. Um, Zip wasn't doing anything. And I think that's why, even though David Perron historically has been a very clean player in his career, you know, Big-time veteran. He plays hard, but he doesn't play necessarily dirty where he gets suspended. Right, exactly. This is not Matt Cook we're talking about. No. This is David Perron, you know, a a pretty well-respected guy who's, you know, done a lot in his career already. Um, But because, you know, I've heard people say, if it wasn't David Perron, it's probably 10 games. But, you know, because... You'd think so, huh? I mean, potentially. Again, like, if this was somebody uh, that... If this was Tom Wilson, for example... Okay you know, somebody who has had a history of uh, suspensions, then maybe the discipline's even worse. Uh, But for me, it's like, hey, you you can't cross-check a random guy in the head as, you know, as clean as your record might have been beforehand. No, I'm
1: with you. Um, It looked awful. I I think the hit on Larkin looked extremely awful, just seeing him lay on the ice, Mm -hmm. and I could see where Perron's coming from. Yeah. It's not just a teammate, it's your captain. Yeah. laying on the ice, and, you know, at the time, I was even thinking i'm like, "Is Matthew Joseph or Parker Kelly like did they either get him with a an illegal shot, uh, mm. maybe a punch to the face it looked like mm. I now, after seeing it like as many times as we have seen the Zupruder film right i'm now of the belief that it was just unfortunate um, just, bad just luck. got sandwiched and you know head going one way, then all of a sudden snapping the other way,
2: yeah
1: so six games to for David Perron, initially it seems very severe just for what you said we've Mm. seen guys do so much worse and i think this is going to raise the argument and it already has that the department of player safety they've got a wheel somewhere in that uh, boardroom where they're spinning it going okay one game two games six games or a five hundred thousand dollar fine
2: right right and i'm hoping that unfortunately for david perron in this case i'm hoping that they're trying to send more of a message this year when it comes to headshots in general where it's like, okay, doesn't matter what your, your record was in the past. You know, if you target the head, mm-hmm. we're going to come after you and there's going to be serious consequences. Because not only six games, it's like 100, almost $150,000 that Perron will forfeit right. during that suspension. That's a big chunk of change. So I think what they're trying to do is send a message that, you know, on a player that, I mean, Zub was basically defenseless. He did not expect it to happen. Uh, that there will be consequences. So they've, they've had that reputation of the Wheel of Justice before. Hopefully what they're trying to do is get away from that and say, look, like you, you guys know what the score is here. Headshots are out. So if it happens, we're going to come after you. Okay. So help me
1: make sense of this then. Okay. Because Erica Branson gets hit. You could argue whether he should have seen Nick Cousins coming or not. Uh-huh. He was a little further away from the boards, took it on the numbers, goes into the boards pretty hard. Yeah. NHL wants to get rid of headshots. Yep. They want to get rid of guys hitting, getting hit in the head and defensive players. Yeah. Square with me here why Erica Branson isn't getting more than one game.
2: Oh, I thought you were going to ask why Nick Cousins didn't get suspended. Oh, okay. You think it should be that way. Totally. Like a brutal hit from behind at high speed. Like, keep in mind, Erica Branson is like, what, 6'4", 6'5", 230 pounds? Like, imagine the force to (laughs) lay out Erica Branson with a hit from behind. Like they, it, it was unnecessary, and you, don't, I see, you don't see it as
1: the same thing that happened to Luke Hughes, where John Tortorella <laughs> saying, "Hey, aren't guys used to getting
2: hit, or is not getting used to getting hit anymore?" It felt like Goodbranson was in a more vulnerable position than Hughes. I, I think Tortorella made a very good point about the Luke Hughes hit, but this one felt more malicious. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, clearly Cousins wasn't going for the puck or anything like that. Um, And again, you know, it's high speeds. I I don't know if Goodbranson had touched the puck yet or was still going after it. Uh, But it was clearly right on the numbers, and he kind of leapt into him from behind. I mean, you see, I mean, Cousins himself kind of went flying. Probably could have been a little worse, too. It certainly could have been a terrible result. Uh, I wonder if Goodbranson only got one game because the NHL saw what happened to him. And, you know, Nick Cousins uh, is definitely one of those players that plays closer to the line. Yeah. than David Perron does. I, and again, I have no inside information <laughs> on this, but I wonder if, you know, the guys in player safety saw what happened to Good Branson and saw his reaction and were like, yeah, we probably would have done the same thing. We probably would have jumped Nick Cousins. Uh, and that's why he only got one game because it was almost that retribution. Now, if you're a professional sports league, <laughs> you probably don't want guys taking justice into their own hands. Oh. But I'm just trying to. That was a one-sided fight, Ryan. Well, cousins turtled. Yeah, he was definitely (laughs) not trying to fight back. Um, I wonder if you know this is not the way you want to necessarily comport yourself as a professional league, where you're just like, yeah, you guys took care of it, so it's fine. Uh, But I, I I wonder if that's what happened, where it's like you're going to get what we got to give you something, Eric. One game, you know, he forfeits about twenty grand, but it's like. All of a sudden, if Florida... I, I don't know what the schedule looks like, but the next time Good Branson and Nick Cousins play, I'm tuning in. Well, listen, we're talking... We're, what, second
1: week of December here, December 12th. Games shouldn't matter so much right now where guys are just hammering the crap out of each other, <laughs> right. right? Like, this is playoff-style hockey that we're seeing. Yeah. Does this kind of shed a light on just how tight the standings are? Granted, Columbus ain't going anywhere. No. Um but there is just it just seems like that every game matters so much more right now mm-hmm. in the NHL. Um, I don't know if it's because so many, you know, playoff where we deem playoff contenders or Stanley Cup contenders are falling down in the standings. But mm-hmm. it just feels like this should be almost like the dog days of December, and we're seeing like the
2: physical um, intensity just ramp up and up. Certainly, and you know, I think you make a good point there, where. There's teams like Toronto and Carolina that we thought would be a lot better. Mm-hmm. There are teams like Winnipeg and Vancouver uh, that we didn't think would be as good as they've been so far, and, and Philadelphia as well. Um, and we're going to talk about <laughs> yeah, we're going to talk about the Islanders uh, with Stefan later on in the show. Right. So there's kind of a weird parody outside of a couple of teams, and you know Edmonton got off to a horrible start. But they're going to get back into the playoff picture, so that bumps somebody else out, you know. And so it's a lot. It feels like it's a lot more competitive. Like unless you're kind of like San Jose, Chicago, you know, like even Ottawa has a bunch of games in hand. So it's like they're not out of it, out of it. Even though they're pretty bad right now in terms of the record. So very well, it could be that most players in the NHL think they still have a chance, and you can't give up points. No, oh, it makes the.
1: NHL action, all, all that much better, I gotta say. It does. So yeah.
2: there you go. We are now joined by Matt Carlson, our Chicago Blackhawks team site editor. And Matt, bit of an important game tonight Connor Bedard, Connor McDavid. I guess to begin with, what's the hype around this matchup of two phenoms?
0: Well, I mean, it, we ask Bedard all the time about when, it, you know, as a rookie, now you're going to see this famous player or you're going to play against this famous player that you've been compared to. He was hyped for Crosby. And we brought up some others like, oh, Vachkin, whatever. Gives us a polite answer. But when we brought up um, Connor McDavid, he was genuinely excited. Got a story on it on the site with videos. And he he'd let up on that one and basically called him you know, the best player in the world. I don't think you'd have a whole lot of disagreement with that. And he really did seem to uh, to perk up on it, so it's going to be an interesting game tonight. Um, of course, Edmonton's playing quite well now since the coaching change, and the Blackhawks are well; they're a rebuilding team. Uh, so we'll see how Bedard does against the Oilers, and I'm sure there'll be a lot of eyes on him.
1: I, I know everyone keeps trying to make that kind of hey, they're both named Connor. Is, is there kind of some McDavid game into Bedard's game? I probably see more of Crosby in the mm. the kind of build that. Uh, Bedard is, but you're looking at his points right now. The guy is on pace for something like 33 goals and 70 points at the end of this season if he continues at this pace. What have you made of, you know, Bedard's first couple months in the NHL?
0: He's an interesting player, um, as we all know. But if you really watch him all the time and you listen to what Luke Richardson tells us about him, too, is I'll describe his style as he's playing it in the National Hockey League because I didn't see much of him as a junior player beyond be on video and what have you. He's kind of a—you know—everybody knows he's slick. Everybody knows he's crafty. Everybody knows he's subtle. I'll describe him as being kind of slithery uh, at, at this level. He's not—you know—but when he's at its best, he's persistent. He's pesky. He's annoying. He reads plays. He picks pockets. And he's—he's he's, as Richardson would say—is hard on the puck. Not in a heavily physical sense but in a persistent sense. And when he plays that way, he's really more fun to watch than people think when he's pesky and going against the bigger guy and coming at him and forcing a turnover or forcing a mistake. And then once that puck comes free, there's not a whole lot of guys that are quicker physically or quicker mentally than he is. Although uh, one thing that Luke Richardson has pointed out about him is He's tending to overanalyze plays a little bit. So there's a bit of a delay that he can't afford to have here in the National Hockey League that he could have gotten by with in junior hockey. So they wanted to be a little more um, just up the instincts and be a little bit faster. But definitely. And and the shot, of course, is is what everybody is, is made of. It's very crafty, whippy stick um, and uh, a unique shot. He just needs to be shooting a lot. Uh, which they want him to do from different places, and sometimes not overhandle the puck or overdish. Although he had a great dish the other day against uh, Washington on a cross-ice backhand pass that was lofted onto uh, Connor, another Connor, Connor Murphy's stick. But the game was already out of reach in that one. So, um, but yeah, watch for Bedard to really be when he's pesky. His best games so far: one in Tampa, he had a, a multi-point game, and one in Florida when he had a multi-point game came from being really pesky and reading things. He picked the pocket of Florida's Kevin Stenland on a play that was just just like, it just was over before it happened. Uh, he picked his pocket, whipped a shot off, and uh, and scored in, in about two sec- in less than two seconds. So when Bedard is being pesky, being annoying, I think that's really the key for when he's best, at least at this point in his career in the National Hockey League.
2: Actually, you make a really good point there because I know, you know, looking back at, uh, you know, at the World Juniors and and when he was with the Regina Pats, uh, particularly in his draft year, Bedard was a lot more physical than I think a lot of people would have anticipated. And it's because he has that real fiery drive in him that he's going to do whatever it takes. To win, and whether that's scoring a goal or you know just getting under the opponent's skin and making sure they know he's going to finish his checks, he's going to do it. Now, Matt, I wanted to ask you about another young gun in Chicago, another rookie, Kevin Korczynski. Uh, could have gone to the World Juniors, but Chicago very happy with how the teenager has already progressed. So he's going to stay with the Hawks. What have you seen from defenseman Kevin Korczynski? Well,
0: first, first of all, he's a great skater. Um, he really can motor, he's a smooth skater, um, uh, as he adjusts to this level, uh, a few more hockey stops and less gliding through things. But of course, he's not the first young player to have to go through that as he moves up a level from whatever level to whatever level. And, um, but his wheels are great and the Blackhawks want him to use his wheels. Does he make some mistakes? Little, what would appear to be little mistakes become, of course, bigger mistakes the National Hockey League just because of the time, um. Uh, quickness involved um you know he's not like throwing the puck away blatantly or anything like that but just being a little quicker on things quicker pass just reading things a little bit better um but he's learning and the blackhawks have said that he will benefit most by being here in the national hockey league as as you guys know he's 19 so he cannot be sent down to uh minor uh, minor pro hockey uh and uh the blackhawks have basically said in the big picture for the season um, that he will benefit by being a pro this season, which means he has to be a, a Chicago Blackhawk and not a Rockford ice Hawk, their, their minor league team. And, um, th- they don't want to disrupt his season and send him, uh, to the world or allow him to go to the world. not, not saying allow him to go, but, but prefer that he not go to the world juniors. And I think he's, prog- he's progressed a great deal here and has played some really great plays as well. So I think, uh, the other day he, um, had a great play coming in over the line on the right-wing side, went right past this forward who was standing still at the blue line, deep in the zone, cuts to that cuts across, doesn't score on the play, but went right through the crease. And uh, you know those are the kind of plays I think you're going to expect to see from him. And, he's, and, and, and I'm sure as he progresses, you'll see him as a guy that can maybe skate the puck out of trouble in, in a lot of situations deep in his own zone as well. So he's got the wheels, he's got the skills. He's still only 19, and he's still got to fill out so he's only going to get better and they they basically said he will get best way for him to get better is to remain in the National Hockey League this season.
1: Well, another reason I figure he might be in Chicago too uh, Matt is, you know, Kaczynski's 19, Bedard's 18. Um, there's a guy there that he played with at the World Juniors mm-hmm. close to his age. We know what happened with Taylor Hall in terms of the injury. He's no longer there. Corey Perry obviously no longer with the team. I wonder about you know, all this losing, what it's going to have on Connor Bedard's kind of psyche. So, maybe having a you know, partner in arms or you know, a comrade there um, it might help him. And you know, like what do you foresee in terms of the challenges going forward with this Blackhawks team? Because it doesn't look like they're going to be anywhere close to a playoff spot, obviously. But um, you know, is there sort of a concern that this season could be a kind of a long one for both young guys?
0: Well, I think the two teenagers, Korczynski and Bedard, keep each other entertained. Um, after practices, um, they're still out on the ice while we're waiting for them. So the two guys are out, the two teenagers are out still playing shinny, and they come up with different uh, varieties of uh, ways of playing uh, two-man or, or shinny. They have dummies out there and all kinds of things. So they get their ice time. So for, for kids that might be watching this show that realize how expensive ice time is, these guys are teenagers getting it for free, and they're making the most of it and having fun. So I think you know they're getting they're uh, they're having some fun doing that. But to the picture, the point about the team, it's not going. It, it would be pretty wild if the Blackhawks find themselves in a couple of months in a position to be challenging for a playoff spot. They are a rebuilding team. We've been told that by Kyle Davidson and by Luke Richardson, and indeed they they are a rebuilding team. They're getting good goaltending though. Which uh, was interesting, and um, it—they're not, you know, if they could stay competitive uh, and 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 and, uh, and just sort of like be engaged in games, I think that will probably be a good platform for some of the younger players. I think they've been told this is a process, and so long as this the place doesn't self-destruct, um, I think they're they're going to be fine. And uh, you know, they're they're coming through this Perry situation, which was a bit of a. Um, a bit of a distraction for them. So um, we'll we'll see how they stabilize after this.
2: Excellent. Well, Matt, thank you so much for our time. Really appreciate it. Ryan, this is a headline that Edmonton Oiler fans do not want to hear.
1: Philip Broberg, a first-round pick, reportedly wants out, wants a trade, hasn't been developed properly. This screams of another guy. Yes, he every wanting out of Edmonton. And if you're Ken Holland and company, you need all the defense help that you can get. You don't want another guy kind of going out the door. What do you think this means for the Edmonton Oilers and what do you think this means for Philip Roberg right now?
2: It's pretty tough because I mean Edmonton is playing incredibly right now. They're working their way back up the standings, you know, they're finally hot. And sort of the team that we expected coming into the year. But Broberg should be an asset that is helping them out. I think what's really interesting about him is, you know, I mean, I've been following him since uh, he was a draft prospect, and he's got great size, got mobility. You know, we saw some offense from him early on, but then we saw, I think, you know, particularly at the World Juniors, he could be a shutdown guy. So Mm -hmm. it's nice to have, you know, those options that you could help him develop, and it just really hasn't taken hold yet. And it's really too bad because, you know, I mean, we were looking before the show of how Edmonton is drafted recently. And, you know, there have been some sort of, you know, were they misses with, you know, Poole uh, You know, Dylan Holloway is still trying to find himself in terms of, you know, what he could be. You know, still a young guy, but... I think we expected more, at least at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Evan Bouchard's turned out pretty well. You know, Kyler Yamamoto, you know, he's gone, but part of that was cap related. He was 22nd overall. Yeah, you and he that got point. You know, that was a pretty solid guy. Yeah. Um, but it does kind of beg the question is Edmonton getting the development that they need for their prospects? Are too many guys underwhelming? Like, where's the disconnect? And for Broberg, still a very young guy, still a lot of hockey in front of him, maybe a change of scenery is what he needs. And if you're Edmonton, you say, well, okay, well, in that case, we need something back because, you know, they should still have Stanley Cup expectations even after that horrid start. Well, Broberg was an eighth overall pick, and I
1: think anytime time you get a top ten pick, you expect those guys to be they NHLers, yeah. maybe impact players also. Mm. I'm also thinking here, Ken Holland came from Detroit where – you know, you got drafted in 2019, you're probably not going to see any ice time to maybe 2029. 20, like yeah. a joke in a bit, but, yeah. you know, I think Ken Holland's like, hey, we're not ready for you yet, or you're not ready. You almost have to be knocking down the door for totally. Ken Holland to be like, yeah, okay, you've got a spot. Mm. Interesting, though, with Roberg, the guy who went right after him, Trevor Zegers. Yes. Um, same draft, Matthew Boldy went a couple spots after that. Yep. Spencer Knight. That's what would the, the one. Yeah, what would the Oilers be like if they had Spencer Knight? Yeah, solves a lot of problems. Then again, maybe Spencer Knight is asking out because he'd be in the minors right now.
2: Or maybe Spencer Knight doesn't become Spencer Knight in Edmonton versus in Florida, where, you know, in particular, you've got Roberto Luongo. You've got, you know, a, a whole goaltending, like, uh, department that they work on uh, you know, at the AHL level, at the NHL level, I mean, the Panthers have set up something pretty nice down there, yeah. uh, which I think a lot of teams are sort of catching on to now. They did draft Stuart Skinner at Edmonton, and, you know, I mean, in the playoffs last year, and, or, or in the run-up to the playoffs, he was pretty good. Obviously, this year it's been more up and down. I think he's playing a little better now, uh, but it's, it's one of those things where, you know, the team is hot, so you can't complain too much, but you do kind of wonder how much better would Edmonton have been if either Broberg had developed quicker or they had recognized that he would need more time and they had brought somebody else in in the interim. Another team facing another kind of similar problem is the Seattle
1: Kraken. Uh, Shane Wright still hasn't made that impact at the NHL level and that Kraken team whatever was going well for them last year hasn't been going well for them this year. Um, I know it's early, Uh, We're not quite yet at the trade deadline, but a lot of UFAs there, Ryan, uh, in Seattle, whether it's Jordan Eberle, um, here's some other names here, Alex Wenberg, Mm -hmm. Justin Schultz, a lot of pending UFAs who are probably going to get moved at the deadline. How soon before we start hearing those names in trade chatter?
2: Well, you know, the Kraken have have had a pretty rough go of it of late. Uh, Winds have been very hard to come by. And again, with Edmonton rising up, all of a sudden, you know, if you're Seattle, you'll say, well, do we really have a shot at a playoff spot at this point, or do we need to sell off some assets? I would expect we wouldn't see anything happen in Seattle until after the Winter Classic. Okay. right? Especially a guy like Jordan Eberle, who's been there since, I mean, since the beginning is not that impressive. In Seattle, <laughs> it's only been a couple of years. But, day oneer. He's a day oneer, as are probably you know, two thirds of the team. Yeah. But, you know, if you're a GM Ron Francis, I think you look at this team and you say, okay, well, certain guys are going to age out anyways. You know, right. Eberle, I think he's 33 or about to turn 33. Venberg's a bit younger. Um, you know, Justin Schultz is in his 30s as well. They're all UFAs, so you say, okay, well, they're perfect rentals. You know, if you're a playoff team and you can get Jordan Eberle in your top six, there's a guy with plenty of experience. You know, he could help a team, uh, sort of of in a Tyler Toffoli kind of way. Okay. But I would like to see Seattle continue to build. I think last year it was great for them to make the playoffs. Unexpected in my mind. But it was unexpected. Yeah. And then beating Colorado was unexpected. I would like to see them move some guys so that a Shane Wright has a spot that he can actually try to contribute at the NHL level this year. Because, frankly, they just didn't have any room for Shane Wright and that was why it was great that they could send him down to the AHL and Coachella Valley. No, unfortunately, I think this is a perfect scenario for
1: Seattle. I think the reason they have Eberly, Wenberg, and a lot of these pending UFAs was setting them up for you know accumulating more prospects and more picks yeah. through the draft. Um, so when these guys were coming up, I think they, you know the plan all along was you know, Seattle's probably not going to be Vegas. That wasn't the blueprint that they were following. Yeah. The first two years or three years, they thought, okay, we're not going to be a playoff team. We're just going to continue to build through uh, Through through the the draft. draft. Yeah. Yeah. So, yes, last year was unexpected. Mm -hmm. Um, Something that isn't unexpected is Owen Beck uh, being back for Team Canada. He is our prospect of the week. Um, how excited are you to see him back for Team Canada?
2: Yeah, I, I think he's going to be very crucial at the World Juniors for Canada because he's going to be the only returning guy. That's crazy, they only have one guy. Pretty wild. And you know, Connor Bedard and Adam Fantilli uh, could return, but they're not going to. They're a yeah. little busy. Uh, we talked about Kevin Korczynski as well. So Owen Beck obviously is going to take on a leadership role. It's interesting because, you know, here's a Montreal Canadiens pick where usually when you draft these kids, you're thinking offense when it comes to forwards, and you're thinking about, you know, that upside. But Owen Beck has a pretty sophisticated game already. You know, he gets those details right. He's a great two-way forward. Uh, You know, he wasn't, it's funny, he was kind of an injury replacement last year as well. He wasn't on the original roster. He wasn't on the original roster. Uh, You know, he came in kind of midway through, I, I believe, when Colton Dock went down, ironically, a Chicago pick um so for Beck great opportunity to really seize the reins and you know sort of mentor some of the younger players uh, I bet Max Celebrini will take some nice lessons for him because Max Celebrini a great two-way player as well uh, obviously up for the draft this year but Owen oh, Beck 30 points in 25 games for the Peterborough Peets in the OHL this year uh, you know we've seen him I mean he's actually made his NHL debut already he got into a game with the Habs last year so knocking on the door but I think this would be a great experience for him to lead for Canada and see if they can win that third straight gold medal all right listen after the break we got
1: Islanders team site editor Stefan Rosner coming to join us talk about why John Tavares was booed the other night surprise surprise all that and more on the hockey news pregame show
2: We are now joined by Stefan Rosner, our New York Islanders team site editor. And Stefan, quite the game last night. John Tavares gets his 1000th career point on Long Island. The locals, none too happy about it uh, as per usual. Are we surprised that the level of vitriol for their former captain is still there? Or is this the least surprising thing uh, about the Maple Leafs captain?
4: Yeah, this is the least surprising thing. Since he decided to go to Toronto, a lot of the Islander fan base has made him enemy number one, and it'll probably stay that way until he retires. I don't know if he'll ever be welcome back on Long Island. I know they bring back alumni, but just given what happened, how that all transpired, whether you think, whether Islander fans think it was Tavares' fault or not, that's who they blame. So anytime he's going to be on the ice, anytime he's in the building, the booze are going to rain down.
1: Yeah, it's, it was funny watching Twitter um, react to this. And you had some people being like, how could they? This is classless. And people are expecting Lou Lamoureux to kind of get on the mic a la Greg Popovich right. and be like, come on, guys, we're not about this. And yeah. this is classy. But I'm like, I've been to MSG. They're still chanting Pot Van Sucks. Sure. Any chance they get. This is not, like, unusual, especially yeah. for a New York sports market. What gives here, Stefan? Are we getting soft or something? <laughs>
4: I just think this is the whole point of being a fan in sports, right? It doesn't have to make any kind of sense. The whole Podman sucks chant. Most of the people chanting that now weren't even alive to see it happen where it started, right? So they're just chanting it to chant it. The Tavares thing is a pretty recent bandit that the Islanders fan base had to rip off. So I think this is just the power of sports, why fans and all that kind of crazy stuff is why sports are so fun, and emotional, important. And I think, yeah, I don't think we're – They shouldn't be getting that soft. This is what sports are all about. And decisions were made. um, Players moved on. The team obviously has moved on as well. But the fan base is never going to forget.
2: The irony of Tavares leaving Long Island and joining Toronto is that the Islanders have been pretty good since he left. I mean, they've had some decent playoff success. This is obviously a team that, as we always like to say, it's Lou Lamorello's orchestra. You know, you're not getting necessarily a lot of individuals that are putting up huge numbers, but they always feel like a team that I would not want to play in particularly the first round of the playoffs. Um, And this season, I think they've been a pleasant surprise. I think they're one of the hottest teams in the NHL right now, despite some pretty key injuries. What's going right for New York right now?
4: Yeah, right now, their offense, you know, their offense last year was firing on all cylinders earlier in the year. But then after January, which is just a horrific month, they kind of went back into Barry Trot style hockey, tried to shut the door and win games, and they snuck in after after 82 games, needing that last game to get in. And this year, you're seeing the offense stay alive like it was with the, you know, bringing back Bo Horvat, Pierre Engel. But this is the deepest Islanders offense we've seen in quite some time. And the most important thing is the health of Matthew Barzal. That duo with Bo Horvat has been elite this year it's what Islander fans have been longing for it's what Islander fans expected with these two and right now Barzal's got 29 points in uh 26 games Bo horvet has got 25 points in 26 games and, and they're leading at the top there the Nelson second line has always been strong they've been strong since Engvall joined that line last year so they're getting top six um production they're getting bottom bottom six production and Noah Dobson and he's got 27 points in 27 games and he's providing the offense running the defensive play which is what he really needed to add to his game. And right now, they're 8-1-2 eight, they're eight, and two in their last 11 games. It hasn't been a perfect 11-game stretch. They've blown a couple of leads, which has been a major issue early on this year. But right now, they're figuring out the 5-on-5 five five scoring. They're figuring out the power play. The penalty kill has been much better. It's just finding ways to lock down leads in the third. And you saw last night, blowing leads, again, became an issue. But the Islanders found a way in overtime to win. So I think they're they're finding this belief in themselves right now, which they didn't have early in the year, that we could beat anyone. And, and right now, even you know, if the, the wins aren't easy wins, they're still getting the two points.
1: You mentioned Dobson. I believe he was drafted the year that the Islanders actually lost Tavares um, in that draft, the 2018 draft. Mm. You know, if I'm putting together a World Cup of Hockey roster for Team USA, Team I don't know. Well, oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. for Team Canada. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know how Dobson doesn't kind of figure his way into the, the roster uh, right now. Uh, we're talking about a big guy, six foot four. Two hundred pounds, like a big body guy who puts up that many points—that's mm. a no-brainer for me.
4: He's going he's gonna to shatter probably his career highs. I mean, defensively, again, that's been the again. People win the Norris Trophy when you just put up points. I think he's third in the league in assists, but the difference has been his defensive play. That was an area where maybe the Alleners thought, okay, how do we give this guy eight-year deal, eight-year max deal? There, he's just providing the offense. We need him to provide defense. And Lula Marilla, I think I asked him a couple of years ago. I said. When they gave Dobson a three-year deal, I said, what more do you have to see? And he said, we just have to see more from Dobson in an all-around game. And right now, Dobson's worked really hard in the summer to provide that defensive play. And he just looks more confident. And when he's making the plays defensively, it's turning into offense. The Islanders have three overtime wins this year. All have come right off Dobson's strong defensive play. We saw it last night where he took the body on Matthews in front and disrupted him and then got the puck up, and the Islanders got the win.
2: Uh- now, it's funny, you know, we're, we've been talking about that Metropolitan Division a lot and just how wonky it's been, you know, with the exception of the Rangers, who have been at the top the whole time, teams have been bouncing up and down, it feels like the whole time. And it doesn't seem like that long ago, Lane Lambert was on the hot seat. Um, what has he done to sort of, you know, I mean, obviously wins are the, the best medicine, but what has he, what have you seen from him behind the bench that has helped this team?
4: Yeah, talking with Lane in the media, he, he's pretty dry in terms of just what he's going to give you. But I heard from, talking to all the players, he's a very emotional guy behind closed doors. And I think the Islanders certainly love that aspect of him. I think it fires them up. Every time you ask him what the thought process is going into third on these last couple of wins and even going into overtime, he said, we're a team that believed that we could win. And I think the Islanders feed off that. But he made one move back on November 28th that's really changed the course of the Islanders season. And that was putting Anders Lee back on the top line. Now, Lee started the year. I didn't think he was struggling mightily. He looked like maybe age was getting to him, slowing down. He wasn't winning puck battles in corners, wasn't doing all those things. And then he started to heat up a little bit. And Lane said, you know what? Let's move him from the third line to the top line. And since then, that Islander's top line has just been absolutely dynamic, which has made it much difficult, more difficult, excuse me, for the opponents to decide what defense pairing goes against, what forward group. The Islander's second line has been on fire as well. So that decision has really impacted the Islanders team as a whole. They're five-one and one. Since that move, that one loss came in their first game back together where they allowed the uh, the go-ahead-go-to-the-devils with about 2.5 seconds to play. But since then, I mean, that line has just flourished. And you could see the confidence is leaking into the power play. It's leaking into three-on-three. So Lambert's made decisions this year that certainly haven't paid off. But the ones he's made recently, especially sticking with the lineup that he's had, he hasn't made that many changes. The fourth line, keeping Matt Martin out and leaving Hudson Fashing in there, having Julian Godier play on the wing of John Gabriel Pajot and Simon Holsham. All those moves have paid off, but I think really you got to give credit to Lou. You, you Brent mentioned all the injuries, Adam Pelleck on long term IR, Sebastian Aho on IR, Ryan Pulock on IR. He went and acquired Mike Riley off waivers from the Florida Panthers, and he's been incredible for the Islanders, especially in transitioning the puck with his skating ability. And then he traded a uh seventh round pick in 2024 for Robert Portuzo, who becomes the only Islander on the roster that has ever won a cup. And he brings that penalty kill prowess, that physical presence that the Islander has been missing. So everything Lane's done has worked out recently, but you have to give credit to Lou for who he's brought in to fill some holes because they're really filling them correctly.
2: There you go. Well, Stefan, thanks so much for that. That was excellent. Really appreciate the time. Ryan, you know what time it is. It is time for the fire of Rapid. <laughs> All right, Rapid Fire. Producer Connor, I'm
1: sure you got some questions for us. Hit well, us up.
3: I do, and we just talked about this guy. John Tavares got his thousandth point last night. So, if you're retired today, is he a first ballot Hall of Famer?
2: I don't think he should be. I think... Because he plays for the Leafs, he probably <laughs> will, because the Hall of Fame committee makes some batty decisions. Uh, but he doesn't have any major awards. There's the longevity thing. And, I mean, 1,000 points, very impressive. But he feels more in that like Pierre Turgeon category where you would have to wait. And even then, it's sort of like Hall of Very Good. Yeah, it's, it's going to be a difficult one. I think if he wins a
1: Stanley Cup with the Toronto Maple Leafs and he's captaining that team, mm-hmm. 100% he's in first ballot. Hall of Famer. He's top 100 right now, Ryan, for points all time. And um, he's impressive. He's going to pass Matt Sundin and Jean Bellevue. Oh, wow. So, you know, when you're in that kind of category, company, yeah. I think it's easy to get into the Hall of Fame. He's such a good guy, like you mentioned. Also, He's also incredibly healthy. So he plays yeah. another five, six
2: years easily.
3: All right. Which city do you think is the best to be an NHL race?
2: I'm gonna say Los Angeles, uh, obviously very nice weather. And I guess the traffic would be the only fly in the ointment, but the team's usually really good. Great facilities. Obviously you can do whatever you want in that city of you know, concerts and other sports, things like that. You can go to the beach all the time. And i also, I would say you can be as famous as you want in Los Angeles as a player. You know, if you're private, you're not really going to get recognized on the street, especially because they drive everywhere. <laughs> uh, but if you want to be out there, there are certainly you know, things you can go to and people you can hang out with that would you know, up your profile. So it feels like best of both worlds there.
1: Listen, if I'm in my 20s, I'm not married, Ryan. I'm going to Las Vegas, okay? Oh, yeah. there, there is a city I want to be in. Easy flights in and out of. I could take a red eye home. Yep. But man, oh man, you've been there. Yep. Um, what a great place to see a game no shortage of opportunities to have fun totally yeah so i'm going vegas
3: all right you get control of the nhl for a day mm. what is the first thing that you change
2: yeah this is not earth shaking and i'm maybe i'm blowing my opportunity with this but i want to see white jerseys at home again <laughs> it's been a long time my logic i feel is very sound if you're a fan of a team if you're a season ticket holder Why would you wanna see 31 different versions of a white jersey on the away team when you can see all these beautiful sweaters in different colors in your own team's white jersey? You can flip it once in a while and see your own team's dark jersey, but it's like, that's the whole fun of jerseys is all the different colors and this awesome canvas you have with hockey teams. I don't want to see white jerseys all the time. It's boring.
1: <laughs> Ryan, you had all that power and you're changing the jerseys. I know, I know. Can't I it. know. Um, you know, what made me mine is just as silly, but I'm going, you know what, they took away the red line for so many years. Let's put it back in. Let's see what happens. You know, guys like Austin Matthews, Connor McDavid, they never got to play with the red line. Right. Maybe we'll see more offense. Maybe, maybe. we won't, so maybe this is a terrible idea. Maybe.
3: Give me ten-minute overtimes and no white jerseys.
2: Boo. <laughs>
3: <laughs> On Saturday, Michael, you brought up Marcel Hosa and it got me thinking about which NHLer would be the had the highest chance of becoming a professional in another sport. Who in the NHL do you think has that chance?
2: I would go with Jacob Chikrin because I've seen those workout videos where he's jumped six feet straight in the air yep. and landed on whatever that plyometric box is uh he also went to american heritage high school which uh has turned out a bunch of athletes in different uh, sports so i could see jacob chikrin as like an outside linebacker in the nfl like he's got the build and he obviously has the athleticism
1: it's funny because hockey players are not built like football players or baseball players. So I yeah. can't really see Connor McDavid being like, all right, throw him on the football field. and <laughs>
3: Definitely I think, not.
1: I think he'd get destroyed. Maybe he was the place kicker. That being said, Austin Matthews, his dad was a baseball player. I've seen Austin Matthews at the Rogers Centre in Toronto hit home runs um, mm. in batting practice. So, yeah, put a bat in this guy's hand, I believe he could probably have made it the majors if he didn't want hockey. Right. So bad.
3: All right. With Miko Rantanen's call out last night, what's the funniest public comment you've seen from a player to a media member?
2: Well, I'm going to keep it in the Hockey News fraternity. Uh, Ken Campbell famously saying to Eric Carlson, the time is nigh, about his return to Ottawa when he went to San Jose. Uh, Eric Carlson walked off, but then Eric Carlson embraced it soon after and used the phrase, the time is nigh, during a press conference. I think it might have been at the All-Star game, so that's fine. Uh, I'm going real simple here. Jonathan Bernier uh, confusing Nelson
1: Mandela with a famous athlete. Said he'd love to have played hockey with him one day, so uh, obviously that's not going to happen. Listen, this was the Hockey News pregame show. Thank you to BetMGM and NorthlandHockey.com. We'll see you next time at the rink.